My name's Phil Williams and I would like to welcome you to Audio Angling, the podcast site of fishingfilmsandfacts.co.uk. Understandably, catching rays from the shore attracts a lot more prestige than catching the same fish from a boat. Offshore, there are far more fish species, bigger sizes and with arguably better performance qualities, plus far more opportunities to catch them, which probably goes somewhere to explaining why good shore ray marks are so cherished due to the scarcity. To find out more about the topic, I'm linking up here with Devon ray specialist Roger Beer, who over the years has had more than his fair share of success with rays, including record fish. So what is it then that makes a potentially good ray mark? The best for small-eyed and spotted is a sandy bottom, preferably with an unraised bottom, and it obviously chops and changes with the weather and tide and that. But we fished about two or three marks on a regular basis back in the 70s, and we were catching some really nice fish back then, you know. But not every night you'd have to put the time in as, as usual. And obviously the right tides, right bait. I used to keep my own sand eels in a tank in the garage, and I could use the uh, sand eels all the way through the year. I used to have a tank which was six foot by about three foot, and funny enough, it was called a chieftain tank. <laughs> Nothing to do with the uh, the weapon. <laughs> But uh, no, we used to go out on a regular basis, about three or four nights a week, and we used to get some really good fish occasionally, you know. I had a double one night of 13 plus and, uh, and a 12 plus in the same evening, but uh, you don't get many of those. But I still rate the ray fishing today. I know they always say the ray fishing was good back in, in your days, but the ray fishing now is phenomenal. I don't know why, it's just that they're catching so many really good ray, different species from the shore, than we ever did, but uh, we've had our fair share. How about that? (laughs) But while you're putting your baits out onto clean ground to get the depth close in, you're obviously not fishing from the beach. So what sort of ground are you looking for to base yourselves on to be in with the best shot? We used to fish a lot of the rock marks in um, coastal marks and estuaries, mainly between Stoke Point, uh, that was Warren Point at the time, which is sort of Mothercombe area. And then we used to uh, chop and change with the tides, and we used to fish the River Yelm. Obviously, you couldn't fish it on a, a spring tide because you never rolled the bottom out there, but um, it was mostly rock marks and estuary rock marks, and a lot of it was a long walk to get there. We used to chuck a lot of the fish back, obviously, even back then days, but never off the pier or anything like that. We'd never done pier fishing for Ray. It was always uh, offshore rock marks and obviously uh, an estuary. That's it, really. And would that preferably be after dark, or is there nothing to choose between day or night? Some people say you can catch them during the daytime, which is true. Uh, there's a mark only about, what, an half an hour from my house called Bulbreeze. Well, uh, back in the 70s and 80s, I never ever fished that place. I never even knew about it, and I don't think a lot of people do. Perhaps uh, people could put me right on that, but that place now fishes phenomenal during the daytime. I don't know what it is with that rock mark, but recently, apparently, the uh, cliff has uh, fell down, making it a lot more difficult. But I know the Plymouth boys uh, go down a certain mark, don't they? They literally abseil to the mark. But I don't know how far it is. It's quite a way down. Uh, real extreme fishing, that is. But the Bulberries, I did fish it about two or three years ago. And the fishing is phenomenal. The biggest blonde ray I've seen caught down there was 30 plus. That was a wyvern record about three years ago. I just can't think of the bloke's name. <laughs> I just can't think of his name. I went down there. And I said, have you caught anything? And he just nodded over there. And <laughs> I looked at this fish, and it was 30, 
whatever, 30 plus, and he asked me if he could borrow a piece of my rope to carry it because he, he wanted to obviously eat it. And it obviously it was a wyvern record. He, he knew that. So um, I took a photograph of it at the time and he did keep it. But yeah, that's the biggest uh, blonde ray that I've ever seen caught from the shore. Now, the word ray is a bit of an all-consuming term for a group containing several species with quite a wide-ranging spread of individual requirements, not all of which should be expected to make it in close enough to put a bait in front of. So give us a quick run-through of the likelihood or otherwise in your experience of each species from the shore, starting with supposedly the commonest, the thornback. Yeah, well, you can fish for the thornback. I never used to actually fish for the thornback, but you could fish the sulcum estuary, etc. A lot of different marks around, and they do get phenomenal ray down there. My biggest ray was 15-1. That's the uh, thornback, and that was actually caught down the River Yelm. But I did hear of 19 pound plus. Don't quote me on it. It was a Plymouth chap caught it many years ago, back in the 70s, I believe, down at the rope mark at uh, Mothercombe. That was another mark that I never used to fish. My two main ones were uh, like the Yelm and Stoke Point, Warren Point, and around all around the cliffs around there, which is about three or four mile. And we used to fish different areas on different tides. But um, the spotted ray used to come in occasionally. Didn't get many. But my biggest spot was uh, 7-2, and that was actually caught down the Yelm on a medium tide. Really, back then, if you didn't get the ray on a certain tide, you just will pack up and go home. If they wasn't there at a certain tide, you'd pack up, just go. But uh, nowadays, you've got to fish with the dogfish. The lesser spotted dogfish are phenomenal, and uh, if you've got a Pinal rig on, you'll pick out two dogfish every time. Uh, that just ruins it, but apparently... Out the Bulberry mark, you don't get them. <laughs> Not very many anyway. But um, the small eye, that was a phenomenal fish if you got a big one. I've lost on the surface in rough conditions at Stoke Point. I had one over £12 about three quarters an hour after I lost the other one. And the £12-pounder looked dwarf, the one that I lost. I broke the gaff the previous night, fishing rough conditions at Stoke. And we landed a conger at, of £25 exactly, which you used to get the occasional one when it was rough coming off the rock marks. Of course, it twisted the long uh, gaffer that we used to use. And, of course, we went there with short-handled gaffs the night after, and it was still quite choppy. And I had this ray on the surface. It was, it, well, it had to be £16. It had to be a plus, you know, it was massive. We think it was a small eye. It could have been a blonde, but I've never... I've seen a blonde come from that mark, so we're just putting it down to a small eye. A mate of mine went down to gaff it, and uh, we think the point of the gaff actually went in the swivel head, and the fish went back with a wave and uh, snapped the line. But back in them days, we were using, believe it or not, without a word of a lie, 11-pound main line, and about a 22-pound wet-knot strength abu line, because that's what we... We've won so much of it in competitions. That's all we used to use on rods. Well, you wouldn't uh, use the rod for a bass now because uh, that was the gear we only had then, you know. But that was the ray used to target back then, Phil. What about cuckoos, undulates, stingrays or electric rays? Did you ever see or hear of any of those? Never at all. Never had any of those species come in on our marks. It's still now small eyes, blondes, the occasional spot and thornback. Never seen anything else come in from our marks at all. I think that's further up the coast there, Phil. Sticking with the four main target species then, what are the prospects of singling out any one as a deliberate target? And if so, 
How would you go about doing that in terms of identifying the right types of ground, seasonality, tides or even baits? If you wanted to go for thornback, you fish places, like I said, down the Salcombe Estuary and you'd be fishing like prawn or uh, peeler crab. Apart from uh, you might pick up on peeler crab, you might pick up a very large gilt-headed bream at the right time of the year. But if you were uh, fishing like Stoke Point, the Yelm, etc., you would be targeting uh, the small-eyed. You might pick up a thornback, but it wouldn't be very often. But occasionally you would pick up a lovely spot. But nothing else, uh, you could target each species by using the right sort of bait. What are the main differences then? For thornback, you use peeler crab or prawn. And for uh, the small-eyed and the spotted ray, we would use last frozen sand eel or uh, live sand eel. It depends what time of the year if you had any. But you very, very rare. On the only case that I caught a thornback on sand eel was uh, that one when I had the 15-1. Tactically speaking, catching rays is not a particularly difficult task. What is difficult is locating areas where they can be found within casting range, then getting a bait out in front of them. So give us a run-through on the hand tackle and business end of things that you would recommend. Well, nowadays it's totally different. Back then we just used a running ledger, but the gear they use now is mainly the pulley rig. It depends where you're fishing, I suppose, but nowadays I would use a pulley rig, mainly because you know, your weight it would come up, it would clear everything. You would left with the fish because sort of, um, you're getting clear of any obstacle, you know, if you had a few rocks on the way in and stuff like that. But the rods, well... The rods are totally different nowadays. Back in the days when we were fishing for the small eyes and etc., we were using less than bass gear, really. But nowadays, you've got all the carbon fibre. The only thing decent we had back then for Ray was the Abu 6000s. That was the reels we had. At least we had decent reels. And obviously, they're still around now. But it was the standard uh, speed of the reels. But it was totally different back then with the gear. If we had had the right gear back in them days, we would have had a lot more records. But um, the gear we had, you, you, some of the fish you couldn't even land. You, you've seen a few of them, but, uh, uh, you know, like going back to the conger, etc., you, you would have landed a few more big ones. But I still say the ray fishing now, in the present times, in the 2000s, are far more ray around now for some reason. Uh, perhaps you could come back on that one. To be honest, there seems to be a lot more rays around everywhere these days, particularly thornbacks. What happened up here in my area was that a lot of rays were taken out by the spur dog longliners. But thankfully, that's now been stopped, and both the rays and the spurs are making a comeback, which has to be good news. I'm not sure about the Devon and Cornwall area, though, and the other ray species. Yeah, that's probably why. But a lot of the Plymouth uh, and Torbay boys, they do actually go up the line and, and fish for uh, some of the big ray. And some of the marks in Wales are really good, uh, Stoke Point. And some of the rock marks, well, they produce at the time of the year. You just read the angling magazines and see some of the articles. Some of the rays they catch up there are phenomenal rays, you know. And, uh, well, they've just got really good marks. Down here, we're absolutely plagued with the lesser spotted dogfish, apart from out on the Bulbury Coast, which I'll gradually get there. But sometimes you're wasting your time fishing down here because you catch uh, 20, 30 dogfish on a raying trip. So sometimes it's better to actually uh, drive 50 miles to get to a rock mark so that you haven't got to catch these lesser spotted dogfish, Phil. Dogfish, unfortunately, are becoming a national problem. Nobody, it seems, wants them. Not even the commercials. On top of which, as the main competitors for food which the commercials do want are taken out of the equation, the dogs, unfortunately, end up with more food availability. 
Into the bargain, the breeding strategy of producing small numbers of well-formed pups with low predation rates also works in the favour, and unfortunately, they appear to be taking over everywhere. But the rays are also about in good numbers too, though a great deal smaller unfortunately on average than they used to be. Down this part, you still get the big ones. You can still target them, especially the blondes. As you know, the coast out around Starcross, Balbreeze, all around that, that side, they do get some ridiculously large blonde rays, you know, 20 plus from the shore. But uh, then you might get the occasional 25, 30. But you're still going to put the time in, but some of the boys certainly know what they're doing nowadays. And they've got all the gear, the climbing ropes, and they just get out there and do it. They're doing what we used to do years ago and putting the time in. And you always find the same anglers are catching the best fish. And then people say, why aren't we catching fish? They're not doing the legwork. They're not checking the tides, etc., etc. You put the time in down this side, you'll catch a, a British record lesser spotted dogfish. <laughs> but um, you do get the odd big one. But uh, back in the 70s, 80s, we go out, we put the time in. We've done articles for um, uh, Sea Angler, I think it was, no, Angling Mail. It was Angling Mail back then with Mike Millman down on the Yelm. And there was two well-known shore fishermen round the corner from the Yelm. And uh, they wondered what all the flashing lights were. And me and a few mates, Ricky and uh, Paul Molyneux, we used to fish regular together. And we were pulling in small lights. We had, uh, I think, 11, uh, maybe 11 and 12 and 13 that night when Mike Millman was doing this article for Angling Mail. And they didn't catch a damn thing. We were just around the corner from them, and uh, we were hitting them before they were going past. But nowadays, like I said, it's the old dogfish, and it, it does put you off fishing sometimes. And uh, I'm not just the only one that says that. The local boys, they get fed up with it, as you know, because, um, you know, nobody wants them, do they? Years ago, I think the commercials used to use the dogfish for red crab pots, if I remember rightly. But what do they use now? They don't use them. They chuck decent fish in the crab pots which leaves the dogfish to breed. We didn't get too much, sir, uh, Phil. Hooking a ray is one thing, and getting one in close when hooked to where you're standing might not be too difficult either. And from a beach, getting it onto dry land should be relatively straightforward too. But with most of your rays being caught from high vantage points overlooking deep water, with all the potential dangers that that can hold, you're obviously going to need some help. So talk us through how you go about achieving that. Yeah, well... A friend of mine, Trevor Skinner, back in the 80s, early 80s, I had just give up fishing. Me and Trevor used to fish regular together down Stoke Point. Apparently, yeah, I had give up fishing. I gave up for 13 years and had a long break, come back in 97. And all of a sudden, I had a, had a message come through that Trevor had gone missing. Stoke Point was known for freak waves, and he was a good swimmer. The wave took him in. He was fishing, not with a chap, but a chap was down there fishing, and they went to land the fish, and next minute, uh, Trevor had gone in. And apparently, this is only what I heard, that he shouted out, chucked me something. The bloke looked around, next minute he looked around, and Trevor had gone. They never found him. That was back in the early 80s. It put me off fishing for years, so I never went back into, not till 97. I have fished the mark since, and I've caught a couple of ray down there, but um, it doesn't seem the same. But these marks, uh, we used to fish a lot of rough weather, and you just had to watch the freak waves. Gaffing was difficult. On a cold night, no problem. You could get right down to the the edge, the gaffam, or even, you know, net them or whatever you wanted to do. But on a choppy tide, you got to watch the freak waves, just like Cornwall. And in Cornwall, every year back in then, there was at least one or two people used to be washed off, and they'd be 20 foot up on the cliff. It was ridiculous. you just got to be careful. That night, I lost that big fish. It was just a heavy swell 
after a, a strong storm uh, the, the night before when we fished it. And you just got to watch out. Many a time a wave come up to catch you. But I've just been lucky over the years, and a friend of mine wasn't so lucky. They never found him, so uh, it's a shame. But you just have to be careful, Phil. In my intro, I hinted at your track record with big and even record rays. You once held a small-eyed Ray Shaw record for a spell. Yeah, that was back in 1975. We went down uh, in sort of winter time. We went down on the rocks uh, on a damn good tide. On Stoke Point, where I caught it, we used to fish a lot of spring tides because the open coast was not sort of so much tide on there, you know. And we used to like the bigger tides. And it was about two hours maybe before the top of the tide. The usual ray bite, slack line, wind it in. Fish went away, struck it. I thought this is something different, you know, it's a nice fish. And uh, obviously took it a bit easier coming in with 11 pound line. <laughs> and a friend of mine went down, uh, gaffed it through the wing, as we always do. If you gaff through the wing, obviously you can return them alive. And we got it in, realised it was a decent fish. Couldn't weigh it that night, we had to weigh it the next day, so obviously lost a bit of weight. And it went 13.7 at the time. That was the British record back in 1975. Can't remember a couple of years later, I had a, a 72 spotted, and I previously heard there was one a couple ounces bigger than that pending, so I never bothered to go for that one. I can't remember whether the bigger one was actually taken as, as such, but I know the record previous that was um, about a half a pound lighter, like something like six and a half, something like that. So the one that I caught would have hammered the other one, but the one that was in pending put me off claiming for that one, so. But both good tides, both at Stoke Point. But then it went through a period of time where it, it, it sort of quietened down. I think the commercials used to come in and drop the long lines across the sand. And I think they cleared them out for a few years. But uh, later years, you do get the odd one downer, apart from the dogfish. But it was both in 75 in the winter time. We always fished mainly in the winter, Phil. I read recently that some small-eyed ray egg cases had been taken to an aquarium somewhere down your neck of the woods and hatched. It could well have been Newquay over in Cornwall. This actually made the news headlines on Google, suggesting that the small-eyed ray was a species in decline and in need of protection and stricter conservation measures. But is that actually the case? Yeah, I think conservation is definitely required because down in Plymouth they hold a shore league every year. I can't remember how many legs. Quite a few people fish for 24 hours, I think it is, uh, over the weekend. And, of course, to win the competition you've got to keep the fish. And very often there's uh, like small-eyed ray of eight pounds, nine pounds, and conger of twenty pounds. Now this is ridiculous. They're bringing them in. They may somebody else might bring in a small-eyed of eight, ten pound, or eight, nine pound. So there's two or three ray that have been killed for club records, or just to say we've got a percentage to win the shore league. It's wrong, really. I don't know how they can stop that. You know, apart from stopping the shore league, which won't happen. But yeah, there's a lot of these competitions now, they actually have a steward, when it's a, a competition that is run on a beach or whatever, stewards run up and down weighing the fish and then returning. But when they have a roving competition, it's very difficult. A lot of the fish are killed just to come back to get a few points. So I uh, don't know your thoughts on that one, Bar. Well, I never fish competitions anyway, though if I did, it certainly wouldn't be the ones where fish were being killed just for the sake of it. So what about this suggestion then that small-eyed rays are a species in decline? Well, you don't catch them down here so much now because of the dogfish, but up the line where they go, you know, fishing from, there seem to be plenty. And the uh, Torbay boys uh, fish up the line for small lights off the beaches. 
and they do still catch quite a few, so with a bit of conservation, they'll still be around, but if they carry on hammering them, you know, they go off mine head in the boats, don't they? We fish the beaches off mine head, uh, and we can see them. They're only about three or 400 yards off the shore, and they're pulling in massive great fish, but if they keep keeping them, there's not going to be any ray around, but at the moment, they're still catching them. So uh, they've just got to look into a bit of conservation and chuck a few more back. It's like now the conger, where they're putting a lot more back, and places like the conger club are having trouble using their trophies because nobody's actually weighing fish in because of conservation fell. That's the way it should be. Now, you might well be fishing for rays, but a bait on the bottom, once it's gone in, is there for the taking by any hungry fish that happens to come along. Presumably, then, you must have caught other fish species while fishing for rays. So what other species have you caught, and what else remains on your wish list? I've always fancied catching a 15-pound huss, and I used to fish for a huss and a, <laughs> for a long time, and um, with the conger off some of the marks, and I can't remember how big it is, it's just under 13, but we were fishing the mark one night, and we had left, and a couple of the Plymouth boys come down, and, and one of those caught a 15-plus huss, but I've never had a, what I call, I've had some nice huss, but not a 15-pounder, which I would have liked to have had. Other stuff, the lesser spotted dogfish have had them up around two and a half to three pound. I think the biggest is about three pound, which is hell of a lesser spotted, but, you know, I'd rather not catch them. When I was fishing for conger, we seen a bloke fishing uh, off the breakwater in the evening, and we just wondered what he was doing, because the tackle he was using was ridiculous. And on the way home, after a session of conger fishing, we seen him trying to tuck this fish in his bag. And he, he said, oh, you've seen it now. And it was a lovely bass of about eight pound. So we thought we'd try that one the next night. And I promptly got snapped up on this bass. Well, you were using um, very thin line, a bubble float, a long trace, and, a, and what we used to call West Ender, like a little eel. And the bass were swimming off the breakwater and shoaling the sand eels up to the surface. And we were casting across them and bringing them in. And the fishing were phenomenal. That was 1976, I think it was. And we caught so many bass in about two weeks. I made them mine add one nine, just under ten pound actually, nine thirteen or something like that. And I lost one, very about a ten pound one night. So I went and promptly bought a specimen hunter's net. Next night I went up her and caught a few more bass, and then hooked in this uh, real lump. And he went like hell for about twenty minutes. And by the time we got him in, uh, we netted him, and that one went at twelve pound one. But I've never seen bass uh, off the breakwater like that. But we used to catch pollock off her as well uh, back a few years. And the uh, biggest off there was 8-1. And that was about fishing for about two foot deep. Pollock used to come up from the bottom of the feed in the, near the surface and use a live prawn. But my biggest pollock, it was caught again down Stoke Point, fishing a storm. And that one went £8.10. That took some bringing in. That was a phenomenal fight that was. But yeah, we in lobster, I've had a, a lobster, um, I think it was £9 plus down there one night. It's just the freak thing, you know, you don't get them so much now, I don't think. And I had anglerfish one night, £14. That was actually fishing for conger off breakwater. But we've had them actually coming in and we've rammed a net in their mouth. Obviously the teeth will go backwards, but it won't go forwards. And he got tangled in mesh, brought him in. And that one was somewhere like £44. That was ridiculous. I'd like to caught that one on rod and line. But you don't see them. You don't hear of anglerfish nowadays. 
Well, nobody ever puts them in the paper anyway, not unless you're boat fishing or a freak one from the shore. But we've had a few uh, weird and wonderful fish like Alice Shad. We've had them up to two pounds something off the shore fishing for mackerel. Well, protected species obviously put it back. But wish people put more fish back nowadays, or Phil. We've spoken before about fishing for conger from the shore, which is another species I know you specialise in targeting, and I can understand the reasons for that. But what is it about rays specifically that still attracts you so much? Ah, it was the fight. You'd get occasional one that would go off like an express train, then all of a sudden you'd get another one would just give you a slack line bite. And when you hook one there and you had a big tide or something, they used to use their wings against the tide, and sometimes you'd get them nearly in and the tide would stop you sort of landing them. It was the fight. You've got to have a good fight with the fish, and, and the fish certainly put up a good fight. Even the smaller ones, the six, seven pounders, they used to fight. They used to put them in the rock pool for a little while, let them calm down and put them back in the sea, and they swim away, and it would give great pleasure to see them go away, though. But definitely the fight there, Phil. Now, you mentioned earlier problems associated with matches requiring fish just to be killed for verification. Another controversial point I'd like to pick up on, which you mentioned before the recorder was switched on, is killing fish and standing them in fresh water before putting them on the scales. So for those who don't already know, explain to us some of the thinking behind that. Yep, a lot of people are doing that nowadays because it's like the sport with drugs. Certain species, they can put in a bucket of fresh water overnight, weigh it in for the competition the next day. Now, I've heard it's um, the bullos and stuff like that, the shark family. They'll put on, they can be a three-quarter pound of pound of fresh water, and apparently Ray will do it as well. The reason I found this out recently is, uh, no names mentioned, but somebody said, what was your biggest spotted Ray? I said, 7-2. He said, soaked? I said, well, what are you talking about, soap? He said, did you put it in fresh water overnight? I said, no, just left it in the fridge. God, he said, that should have been eight pounds something. And that's what people are doing now. They're sort of putting certain species in fresh water because they know what their people in their clubs are doing it. But I think it's, you know, not right. I think the fish, if you're going to keep it to eat it and weigh it in for a specimen or whatever, you eat it. You don't just kill it for killing's sake. But you certainly don't soak it overnight it's just cheating to me what do you think on that one well the science behind it comes from the way that sharks and rays deal with urea and other waste products to achieve what's known as isotonic balance this is where the salinity level within them is the same as the salinity level of the seawater surrounding them and therefore unlike bony fish such as cod and bass they don't need to drink to maintain that balance which would otherwise lead to dehydration if you were to separate two different saline solutions, such as the body fluids of sharks and rays, and the seawater surrounding them using a water permeable membrane, water will pass through it in whatever direction is required to achieve salinity balance. So putting a shark or ray in a bath of fresh water causes it to be absorbed through the skin and the gills, which will ultimately make that fish weigh heavier. Marine species other than sharks and rays will also take on fresh water, but at a much lower rate. The problem is that if everyone's doing it, then really there's nothing to be gained. Unless, of course, you don't know about it. But unfortunately, when they do, some anglers will feel they have no other option than to join in and do the same. There's a lot of anglers out there. They catch a fish and that's the fish weight. They don't want to go and round and putting this thing in a bath of water overnight to cheat. It's just not right. You're cheating yourself, really. I don't think it's right. And I reckon a hell of a lot of people don't think it's right. So the ones that are doing it, 
I think they're wrong, but that's just my feeling, and I think I'll have a lot of people feeling the same, Phil. I suppose the one saving grace here is that your record was beaten long before any of this came about. Otherwise, no doubt, you would have been feeling cheated too. Yeah, that's true. If I put my uh, 13-7 ray in a bath of water, he might have gone a lot bigger, but um, apparently they put him in water overnight and then put him in the fridge. I don't know what they do, but uh, they increase weight phenomenal. You know, like you said, certain species. It's only on certain species uh, that they do it. I know, I know the bullos is one of them. And I've heard the ray as well because, um, yeah, there was a big ray caught recently and apparently the, the gentleman did put it in water and weighed it in and it, it weighed uh, seven pounds something. I think seven twos, eh? same as mine. That's what the conversation come up. What was my biggest? That's how I found out about it. But uh, I thought, well, I didn't do it. I wouldn't have done it. You know, I wouldn't even wanted to do it. But um, well, if they're only cheating herself. If they want to break a record by doing it, well, fair enough, let them get on with it. But it doesn't make it right. I'm the old school, and um, they shouldn't cheat, and that's it really, Phil. I'm just glad that as a pleasure angler chasing only my own personal best, all of this lot is alien to me, thank goodness. But it does need taking in hand, particularly where record weights are concerned. Chemical testing may even be required in the future, which is both costly and not exactly in the spirit of sporting behaviour. But in the interest of fairness, well, if that's what it takes. My thanks then to Roger Beer for bringing the problem to our attention here and for putting us more in the picture with regard to catching rays from the shore. Mm-hmm.